Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. Well, the uh, the dream is over, and uh, we're here today. Uh, what a few days after um, after UCLA's uh, Final Four and National Championship uh, dreams have ended. So we're uh, we're we're not in the best of spirits, I would say. But hey, we're we're here. We're here to talk about it. Um, you know, it's it was. It's it was been four days. One. It's been four days. It's been four days. Um, I'll just start off with this. I never want to play Gonzaga in a tournament game ever again. <laughs> ever again. Jeez. Now, eventually, we got to. This has got to turn, right? Like, like we haven't been able to beat this version of Gonzaga for three years now. But we we owe them one now. We really do. It feels like they d- they've done some like black magic on us ever since the Adam Morrison game and into the tournament. I, I yeah, guess there was I, thought, that, I mean we we've all thought it. We've all thought that there was that twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen game, whenever that was, that we did beat. Yeah, them. but that wasn't that was an empty suit game. That was offered. Like, yeah, like, with a team that wasn't really supposed to be there. So I think. That that game, most people have pretty much forgotten that it even happened. Right, right. right. No one, no one acknowledges it. It's just been, you know, two thousand six, twenty twenty one, and now twenty twenty three. And uh, sadly, two out of three, we've been on the the losing end of it. It was a frustrating game. Um, I think we can talk about why it hurt so much. Uh, after we talk about what actually happened in the game, but yeah, man, it, it sucks. Like it sucks. Yeah. Uh, it sucks for exactly what you were alluding to. Right. Um, it, it's kind of like the, the Pac-12 championship game against Arizona, except this is a sweet 16, right? So this is obviously way, way, way more meaningful than that. But from the moment that it was announced before the game that Dan Bono was not going to be able to play. I would say most fans out there were bracing for what inevitably would be probably a hard-fought game, but in the end, Gonzaga would probably pull away and, and win just because, you know, you still didn't have the horses to do it anymore. And that's probably your frame going into the game. I think everyone expected UCLA to play well, right? Because, like, you said it before, uh... This is a McCronin team. They're usually going to play hard, play well. They don't just go and lay eggs very often. And the game starts, and that first half, everything that, like, all the preconceived notions you might have had going into the game about how UCLA could attack Gonzaga came to life. Every single one of them. Uh, Like, it was a free lane to the basket. UCLA's... You know, between Bailey, Amar- Amari Bailey, Jaime Hawkes, Tiger Campbell were pretty much getting any shot they wanted. Uh, Dave Singleton were, was hitting threes. And none of that in the first half offensively seemed like it was not sustainable because they were all really good looks. Um, to the point where I actually thought UCLA might have missed a trick in that first half. I thought we could have been up 15, 17 just the, with, with a few of the shots that we even missed. We missed a few um, open looks, right? But the the pick and roll 
was just destroying Gonzaga that first half. Completely destroying him. And I thought the defensive game plan was exactly what we talked about in the preview, which is, you know, let let Drew Timmy have his. He was having a bit more of a party, I think, than we would have liked to, him to have. But run everyone else off the three-point line. Don't let three, four, five guys get involved. And that's exactly what, what, hap- what was happening. And it worked. Because when other guys got the ball late in that first half, they didn't really know what to do with it. They were turning it over. We were getting transition points. And wow, at, at that point at halftime, you really felt like UCLA had a chance if they could start getting some more stops to really pull away. And I've tried to chart out like what what was the, the turning point? Like what was the couple of plays that really started to swing this in in Gonzaga's well, favor? <laughs> It was it was kind of exactly what we talked about in the game preview, right? Like, what could not happen? The number one thing, I think, was we cannot go through a dry spell for, you know, two, three, four minutes. And instead, we took that to the next level and went on a dry spell for, like, 10 or 11 minutes. Uh, and that, that really broke our backs there, right? We, we created that 13-point lead at half. You know, we came back at the half, and we just, we... You know, we're a little up and down to start, but then there was the the horrible dry spell. We just could not buy a bucket. And that ultimately kind of, I don't want to say doomed us because with 12 seconds left in the game, we still had a lead. We came back and got a lead. But ultimately, I, I, I think rather than, you know, having grasp of the game from, for the entirety of it, we, we kind of gave it away in that stretch let Gonzaga climb back into it. Obviously, they're they're a very good offensive team. So when you do that, you start they start getting their shots in. Like the, it's going to be hard to stop. And and ultimately is is kind of the moment I think, or eleven minutes of moments that really doomed us in this game. Uh, it's it's uh, I don't know what to chalk it up to. Like. You know, we, we, we talked about Bona being out. Obviously, Jalen Clark was out. There there were a lot of guys out in this game. And uh, I think, yeah, you, you can factor in some of those tired legs. You can factor in that kind of stuff in there. But, you know, there's also, I think there were some coaching mistakes here that as much as we applaud Mick Cronin for putting together this team, putting together the culture, I think some of the tight leash uh tactics that he has on on the team with the team on the players uh came to fruition here in a negative manner and i think that kind of also led to the our demise here really in particular i think with one player um and that's that's Dylan Andrews I, you just look at how the bench was distributed because Gonzaga doesn't run a very deep irritation either, right? So this is where, like, the, the tired legs argument to me gets... Yes, uh, absolutely, they, there were tired legs. Anyone who was watching with two eyes could see that they were they were absolutely beat. Uh, but Drew Toomey played 38 minutes, Julian Strother played 38 minutes, Anton Watson played 36 minutes, so I guess, you know, a little less there. Um, but Gonzaga had two guys on the bench that they could go to, um, Hunter Salas and Malachi Smith. To me, Malachi Smith just might have been the difference maker there. He was. Um, he really was. His ability to, to come in and just make timely shots, get some timely turnovers. He ended up with 14 points um, and, and really just gave, start, started that spark for, for Gonzaga that really kind of went down, down the line. And you look for us, um, look, 
had we had Jalen Clark and Adem Bona, I think we, we might have had even more bones to pick about the rotations, just knowing how Mick can do this sometimes. But with our roster going into this game, um, effectively we had a six-man rotation because the seventh and eighth man on our team, um, Mac Etienne, I, I don't think this was his game to be playing too much against Drew Timmy. And I think we kind of saw that when he was in. And Will McClendon, um, you know, in this game where points were at a premium, as well as the fact that he was just getting beat, like when he was in, and wasn't willing in the first half to shoot the ball when he he wasn't, it wasn't even from the three-point line. Like he had a, a opportunity to just go up to the basket and just wouldn't do it. Those two, it just it, it was it wasn't going to be their game to play. And you know what, like guys like Will, I think we like them. They have bright futures maybe at UCLA, but the fact that he wasn't able to shoot, I think, started to affect other parts of his game, and we started to see that come to life. So I'm not so so his four minutes there. I thought Dylan Andrews though he needed to get more time, and 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 we've been talking about this for a while. He's earned a role where you know he needs to be in there for fifteen or sixteen minutes. Not just because to play a bench, but because he can impact a game. And we saw it when he was in there. He hit some timely shots, right? He hit a really big three to, to just ease the bleeding there for a bit. He can pester defense, pester guards on defense, create turnovers, create havoc. You just wonder in the first half, if we had given him some more time, could Tiger have had some fresher legs in the second half? So I think that was an area, I think, that you can look at the rotation I'd say three things that I was scared of overall coming into the game, and we talked about all of them. One was running Gonzaga off the three-point line. I think we did that pretty good. They only ended up hitting six threes in the game, and that's a win for that team. One of them was obviously a backbreaker. The second thing I think I was just really scared about was defensive rebounding. And for Gonzaga, it's offensive rebounding. Yeah, it did not go well that second half, especially. Did if I had to well. point to one thing as to how they started their comeback, that was how. Um, and and again, maybe was it again was it tired legs? Was it just getting beat? Was it blockouts? I don't know. But but UCLA had shown the tendency throughout the year where there there were games that they kind of just out efforted teams with, especially when they had Jalen Clark and a Dembona to like you know get through any of the rebounding deficiencies they might have had. But we saw games against Washington State earlier in the year, against USC, Arizona in the Pac-12 championship, and then now this one. Um, we needed to fight them to a draw there. And we got beat so badly, like, I'm amazed that we were even had a chance to win this in the end. I'm, I'm amazed that we, we lost the rebounding margin 50-26, to 26, and yet somehow shot three more times than them we had three more field goal attempts field goal attempts and i think that that partially explains why mcclendon was in the game so much too is he's a better rebounder than andrews he's a pretty good rebounder overall for especially for his position so you can see the inkling of some reasoning to play him a little bit more but again it didn't really help in this manner uh, like this this game was a loss on rebounds regardless of him being in there or not so doesn't yeah, really... like he ended up taking two big shots in the second half when he was in that it, it just would have, it would have been much better if Dylan Andrews took those shots, right? And there, I, and I got to imagine there was some aspect of like, hey, this is his hometown. Maybe he the light turns on for him here and he can do something. 
offensively at least and just yeah none of it none of it happened like it's unfortunate like you you want to root for him in, in front of his home crowd but I yeah it, like I, I don't think there's any excuse for not playing Dylan Andrews here and, and at the end of the day that's on Mick plain and simple yeah I'll give one more thing on Mick um and I think that has to do with the players who who were in the game you know once and we've seen this before, right? Once Gonzaga started to make their run, um, it went back to, well, let's run two-man game, Tiger and Jaime, and it seemed like for about five, six minutes there, we forgot that we had a bona fide third scorer on the floor. Like, this wasn't like earlier in the season when, you know, it was really just those two and we couldn't really rely on anyone else to get buckets. Like, we had a third guy who was lighting it up. They couldn't um, stop Amari at all. Yeah, at all. And, uh, you know, I feel like, he didn't get involved until again very late in the game again when he I mean obviously he made the big three there to give us the lead and whatnot, but he didn't get involved very late in the game. So yeah, that that's an area I think that, that we could have done better. And then yeah, you talked about the so the third thing I was frightened about in this game was the scoring droughts. But even in my own wildest dreams, I think we outdid ourselves here. Like I I never <laughs> thought we would go eleven minutes. Um like that's never happened this year. So yeah, we picked a swell time for that they, to happen. And- and, you know, if you're watching this game on TV, the announcers are crediting Gonzaga's defense, this and that. And that's not how I saw it. Like, we missed some good shots. There was not, I mean, look, Gonzaga might have turned up the defense a little bit, but we missed some good shots. But, again, to your point, we went to that two-man game a little too much when we had Amari there who could have probably bailed us out a little more, more in some of those situations. Um, and we tried to, I think, just bleed clock a little too much. It was, again, we passed the ball around and got into that, oh, shit, there's five seconds left on the clock. Let's jack up a bad shot. It, it, it just doesn't doesn't do anyone any good. Uh, we were probably doing that because of the tired legs, right? We want don't want so sure. much running up and down and, and all that stuff. So that's probably why we're doing it. With all that, like, there's still a way to run – a normal offense and get, you know, Bailey and Singleton, you know, some shots or play Dylan Andrews and get them some shots. I think there are other ways to try to stop a scoring drought to not be 11 minutes. And really, again, I, I just go back to this. We lost the rebounding battle 50 to 26. We went on a, an 11 minute stretch where we didn't score a basket and we somehow had a lead with 12, 12 seconds to go. It's kind of miraculous to think about that. <laughs> when you when you say it out loud, to think that we could have potentially won this game, uh, only to again With effectively six players again, right? Like six ready players that we could trust. And look, six ready players is one thing, but the context is like two starters that played the majority of the year, minus the last three or four games, is. A difficult adjustment to make. Uh, but we had the bench. We have the bench. We have the talent. There was no reason not to play them. I think it's just, yeah, it's it's tough to look at it and say, you know, that was the final excuse. Like, I get it. That's a factor. Having no Bona here was a factor. Obviously not having Jalen was a factor. We had a little bit more time to adjust to that. But at the end of the day, like... We had other guys that could have stepped in, and we just Mick and the staff did not 
trust them enough or, or to do so. And I think ultimately that doomed us here. And uh, our effort, our, the level of effort that the guys gave on the floor almost got it done here. And it's just, it's so frustrating to look at this game. Despite everything that went wrong, we were still up with 12 seconds left. And again, it took another goddamn miracle for Gonzaga to beat us. It's it's just, I mean, let's talk about that last play. And I think this is a big debate that's happening right now amongst UCLA fans. Do you press on that play? So here's the thing, and, and if you listen to Mick's postgame and Tiger and Jaime and their postgame interviews... And and I know we talked a little lot about how we should have played Dylan Andrews more, but uh, you know, you, if you listen to them now, it looks like they had scouted that play. Um, they they had seen them run that before earlier in the season. Like I think Mick specifically said, um, you know, they hit that shot against Xavier uh, when Xavier thought they had him beat, and they went and hit that shot. Um, that Strother has hit those kind of shots throughout the year. So you know that they discussed this in the huddle. They, they probably discussed that, hey, if Strother gets the ball up, he's probably going to go up and get a shot. Um, and so you wonder, and again, this is what Mick, he actually just flat out said it, because someone asked Jaime, I think, hey, I think you were guarding Strother. And he's like, no, I wasn't guarding Strother. Um, I was guarding Salas. And then Mick said, no, he was not guarding um, um, Strother. Dylan was guarding Strother, and I think he said himself that, you know, he was supposed to be up a little bit more, pressuring the ball a little bit more than what he was, and so I think what, we were, if you watch the play again, you know, Dylan actually is, like, backing up almost to the three-point line, and maybe, again, he's supposed to be a little tighter up on that screen to where Strother's not just walking up into the shot, even though it's a deep shot, right, at 33, 34-footer, whatever the, the number is in the end. Um, it's a deep shot, low percentage, all that. Just letting a player waltz into that, I thought. I mean, that 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 was just way too easy because teams practice that now. Even it was a run play, play. I mean, you could tell it was it was practice play. Right. Um, even the play that we ran with one second left to Tiger, it got a good look. It just happened to not go right. But but teams practice that. You could tell that that was something they'd run before. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I, you can't blame Dylan for this. You can't, like... It's tough, right? You just, you gave up a 34-footer at every level of basketball. You're probably told, like, oh, that's a win. Yeah, if if you're giving up that shot and they're making it, like, it's, yeah, it is a win in that sense. But it, like, that's a shot you have to take, then that's a win. It's just, like, at this point... Playing Gonzaga, let's not give up those shots. And it's not even just Gonzaga, I feel like, with UCLA these days, with under McCronin's tenure, it's been buzzer beater after buzzer beater that we've lost on. I mean, you go back to his first season, there was the the horrendous... the Jonah Matthews? The Jonah Matthews shot. You have, obviously, the 2021 Gonzaga shot. You had Alabama... In the Elite Eight. Uh, Sweet 16, yeah. Sweet 16, yeah, to tie it up, to go in overtime. We pulled that one out, but, you know, it's still, that's that's not a loss, but it's still a wild. Uh, the Stanford uh, out-of-bounds play that same season, which yep. that wasn't a half-court shot, but that was like point 
three seconds or something. Point three, but still. There's so many buzzer beaters like we can list off here, and I don't know if it's just bad luck or we're just not preparing for it. I it It's hard for me to believe that we're not prepared for those types of situations when we're so prepared in in every aspect of the game generally. So giving up those kinds of shots is just wild. And, and it just points to just some extremely bad luck, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's so frustrating when you look at them and, and say, look, we could have won all of these games. Then just the ball bounced the wrong way here. And I, and that's, look, that's part of March. We get it. But man, you know, Two two out of the last three tournaments losing to Gonzaga in that same type of fashion is uh, just uh, very, very, very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, when you list out all the buzzer readers, remember there was a one more day to SC at the end of the 2021 regular season, right, that we lost in a buzzer reader mm-hmm. again. Um, so you got two against SC, the one against Bama, the one in the Final Four against Gonzaga, <clears throat> Uh, this one here, uh, the one against Stanford, uh, the out-of-bounds play. So uh, that many of those kind of results, uh, at a certain point, that many half-court heaves is just bad luck. Um, but but look, uh, like you said, this is, in the context of this game, this is March, this tournament is cruel, it teaches you that nobody deserves anything. Right, I mean, the fight that that UCLA showed, especially late and early in the game, to just go ahead despite all the adversity and injuries and stuff, and then late in the game to come back despite how much they were down by and and all the adversity they were facing there to take the lead. Um, you know, Amari Bailey hitting that big time shot, and again, this is March. No one deserves anything. You just you you just some one one team wins, one team loses. The only thing that you can earn and deserve out of this tournament is pride and the fact that you gave it your all and this UCLA team certainly did that um, and so for that they deserve a lot of credit they'll be remembered forever I think you know this season was was a great season it'll be remembered in a lot of ways um, you know I, we'll, we'll look back many years from now potentially and we'll say like oh they won 31 games but they lost in the Sweet 16 that's an underachieving season um, but I don't think that's fully fair because not all Sweet 16s are created equal um, context matters here, right? It's context not just the context, here. I think, about the game, but it's the context of the season. Right. Like, for example, um, even the, the Lonzo Ball team, I think some people look back on that and it's like, oh, what a disappointing team. But the truth is that was a very good team. Um, you know, they won also like 30-plus games, and we lost in the Sweet 16 in a game to Kentucky. Like, that can happen. Sure. But overall, it was a good season. I, I, this season, right? I, I, I don't like to compare the two. I think they're... No, this is way better. <laughs> well, this is way better, and I think that's why this one hurts even more, right, is not only was it better, but there's a lot of, you know, what could have been here. The Lonzo Ball, your team, I think deep down, as good of that of a team as that was, we knew, like, that team wasn't necessarily going to go as far because Lonzo and his talent could only take us so far. We needed some coaching to carry us a little bit further than yeah, I think. We play defensive look. Right. Uh, and we knew that we didn't have that. And so deep down inside, as, as excited as we were, because, hey, we were finally respectable for one year after so many long years of being absolute garbage. Uh, we knew deep down inside, like, there, that team had faults. 
look, we knew this team had faults, but it was truly, I think, from every aspect, an elite team. And the context of the the final games and the how the season ended was really like, what could have been if we had been fully healthy? I, I think that that is a fair question when you think about, look, if we have healthy Jalen Clark, if we have Bona, if we even have one of those guys, how deep does this team go? Like, I I would be willing to bet we go deeper than the Sweet 16 here. And that's why I think it's so painful to to look at this team and be like, ugh, we only made it to the Sweet 16. Not to not to knock them. It's not a knock against them. I think there's just that uh, general sentiment around the team. The other reason I think why this team hurts is, like, this team was the kind of the final culmination and the final hurrah for so many guys that I think brought respect and glamour to some degree back to UCLA basketball. Look, Lonzo, again, this is not a knock on him. It's just he was there for one year and some of those guys were there for one year and it was kind of a flash in the pan. What Jaime and Tiger and Ken Nuba and even Jalen Clark, um, even like guys like Russell Stong, Dave Singleton, you know, they've been here four or five years now and have really built truly a program and culture uh, and and have brought that pride back to Westwood for our basketball, men's basketball program, I should say. Uh, and to, to not see them, you know, get to another Final Four or attempt to uh, hoist to that trophy, largely, when you think about it, probably due to those injuries, just it, it's, it's heartbreaking because those guys put so much time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears into this, this program. And even in this final game, like they, they gave everything out there. So, you know, look, I, I think fans can look at us um, and have some revisionist history if they want say, what a disappointing year. But I, I think that's, that's largely unfair. I, I think there's, there should be nothing but love for this team, for these guys. I think they, they truly have put UCLA back on the map. And for that, I personally will always be grateful for them and will always you know, love this team for that and love these guys for that. And we've talked about this. Like, we were dog shit for so many years before and even under Alfred and, you know, the final Ben Howland years when we were in school. And, and this was... This is the first time anything has felt sustainable and not just sustainable, but sustainably good. Like the the program feels like we're in a better, better spot than we have been in the last decade. So and, and these guys were a key part of that. And so it just it's sucks. Be weird next year, you know, watching a, a UCLA team line up and to not have some of these guys and I mean we've been spoiled uh, these past few years because again this is modern day college basketball this is the era of the transfer portal now this doesn't happen and you know maybe it does happen you know just on, on some level going forward but to expect a guy like Jaime Jaquez to stay for four years and do what he's done Tiger Campbell to st- be a four-year starter at point guard um Dave Singleton, as someone who started under Steve Alford and played for an empty suit and then had to earn his stripes with Mick Cronin, stayed through it, and then this year had a huge role. 
that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. And it, and if it does happen again, that's truly because we have a coach that believes in recruiting that kind of players and building that kind of culture, which it's totally possible. But we've been spoiled. It's going to suck not watching them anymore. We're going to miss it. And we're um, only we're only mentioning their basketball lives, right? Like from all accounts, these kids were awesome. Have been awesome people. Like no drama. They all just seem to be really hard workers. They, they're all so such likable guys, and you could tell how deep that team chemistry was between all of them. And it, it, it's it's rare to have top to bottom such good kids on a team that have that kind of chemistry and that have that much talent and have stayed for so long. It it really, it's rare today. I think it's just rare in general. Uh, In the last probably 15, 20 years of college basketball, you just don't see a core group of guys stick like that and just be good dudes on and off the court in general, just across all facets of life. So yeah, it, 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 because of that, you as a fan or alum or whatever you whoever you are following UCLA basketball, like you grow attached to these guys. You really do. It 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 just it's makes it so much sadder to see them go out on this kind of note. Um, and you yeah. know, as much as we're hurting, those guys are. I can't imagine how how uh, how it feels for them. Yeah, I mean the memories that that we that we these these players have given us again. You know, we've gone over what we were before, and the pride that they've they've restored. You know, obviously to to UCLA basketball, UCLA men's basketball, and to the program and whatnot. The memories of that tournament run two years ago is something I think none of us will forget. You know, it it, it just felt like this breath of fresh air um, after just being in the basement of college basketball for so long and there was just this light that came out and these players are the ones that that gave that to us and then to follow that up and continue on into that light right I mean we didn't make another final four with them but back to back you know strong seasons this year an elite season 30 plus wins you know restoring that pride bringing the whole fraternity back of uh, everyone alums students fans, all of it, that support UCLA basketball, you know, they're all back now, and it's all thanks to these guys, and like you said, it's something that feels sustainable, so, you know, to, we're, to these, these We're players. nationally relevant for the first time over the span of three or four years, uh, I think in a, a decade before McCronin came to Westwood. It truly feels that way, like, we, again, we keep bringing up that Lonzo Ball year, but that was one year out of how many? with uh, Steve Alford. We talk about, you know, the end of the Bennett Holland years. We had 2013 where we won the Pac-12, but, you know, got thrashed by Minnesota. It, despite having all that talent, we just, it didn't feel like this was going to be a sustainable program at that point. And, well, th- and this is why I bring up the Lonzo Ball year, right? Because, again, there will be some people that, like, look on this and they say, like, you know, hey, Sweet 16 and they underachieved, so on and so forth. I always go back to this. What was the problem with that team was not that they lost to the Sweet 16. The problem was that you lost that year, and then it was, there was just this big feeling of like, well, now what? Now what right. are you gonna do? Right. Um, whereas with this year and last year, um, 
there was there's a, a feeling path of, forward. There's a path forward. There's a feeling of wow, that was a good season. These guys tried their hardest. We lost on some crazy shit, terrible injury luck, and you know what? Um, you know that sucks for them, but we'll try again next year. And that's because these players gave it their all to build something sustainable that's there going forward that we're proud to watch. Um, you know, I think more than anything, just the effort, the the energy that this team plays with is just something you can be proud of, right? Like that that's something that goes beyond wins and losses and such that, that we can always be proud of. Yeah, no, I think uh it it allows you to not be ashamed to be a UCLA fan anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> it it truly it's like, okay. You know, if I'm and in, one of these years, we will have better injury luck. It will. I hope at some point we will have better injury luck because this is like really crazy. Because I'm going to try to spell it out, like what the last three years have all entailed. Right? It's been wild, truly. Been so wild. 2021, 2021, we, we come off the COVID, obviously, where we go on a big winning streak to end Mick's first year, 2019-20. And we come back with, you know, a good roster. That's expected to add Dacian Nix. Uh, we got Chris Smith, Johnny Juzang. Juzang is hurt before the season even starts. Then Chris Smith, D- Dacian Nix is recruited by the G League, and he's gone. Chris Smith tears his ACL in December. Jalen Hill, God rest his soul, uh, you know, leaves rest the team. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. And he leaves the team, and somehow that team had enough runway there to pick the pieces up <laughs> and make that mir- miracle run uh, in, in the tournament. That's just that year. Then last year, we had the COVID scare in December. We had Johnny Juzang going out for some time in the middle of the year. We had Jaime Hawkes and his ankles. He played with no ankles, played basically. With, right, exactly. So played with knowing that there was some kind of off-season operation needed. Somehow... He came back from it, recovered from it in, to some degree, and then hurt it again in the second-round game against St. Mary's in a game in a way that clearly hampers us in the Sweet 16. And now this year, somehow, you know, we make it through by previous year's standards relatively healthy. Amari Bailey missed you. Nine. You also miss Cody Riley missing a good chunk of last season, too. Oh, yeah, Cody Riley missed a good he chunk of last season, He got hurt in the too. first game of the season. Yeah, that's right, and he missed... A good good chunk like of time. A third of that. that season, at least. Yeah, and so this year, you know, it seems like we're doing health, being healthy. We're all healthy, and then Amari Bailey picks up a knock. He misses a month, but but by Mick Cronin standards, that's a great year so far. And then it just so happens that the very last game of the year, when we're already up by nine points against Arizona, he Jalen Clark goes and tears his Achilles, and I think the I mean Jalen Clark's injury was devastating. Adem Bona's injury, I think, was devastating for so many different reasons. We saw Amari Bailey come on late in the year, right? I mean, these last three weeks has just been something special. Like, when we got Amari Bailey with that five-star rating and that high ranking, this is the player that we were waiting for, and he got there, and he got there at the time exactly when we needed him to get there. Adem Bona, I think, was turning into form. He was he was getting to this this level. And not from the standpoint of scoring and this and that, because Adem Bona had shown more of those flashes than Amari Bailey had throughout the year. That's why he got Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. But there was a maturity there. There was just a level that he was getting to, because remember that game against Oregon, against legit big men, right, that can score, that can get you into foul trouble. Adem Bona, for the first time, was able to get through that 
and was playing really well. And I was really hoping that you know he does that and then goes and follows that up the next day against Arizona, against Balo and Tabellis and all those guys there, and we'd be on our way because at that point, Adenbona can be depended on to stay in the game, not get in foul trouble, and then imagine that version of Adenbona against Drew Timmy in this game, right? Um, so, man, I mean, it, it sucks. Just one of them. I mean, there's a great chance that we beat Arizona going away. There's a great chance we beat Gonzaga going away. And, uh, you know, beyond that, I mean, who knows? UConn looks like a juggernaut right now. Um, but That's yeah, why the games are played, though. I mean, everybody <laughs> everybody kind of had had, uh, had this foregone conclusion that Alabama at that point was going to waltz into the, the Final Four, waltz into the championship game and win, right? Like... Once yeah. a lot of the other one seeds were down, Houston looked a little hampered. A lot of the two seeds were out. Like that was the foregone conclusion people had in their heads. And look, that didn't happen. So, yes, UConn looks like a, a juggernaut right now. They absolutely walloped Gonzaga, um, which is brilliant, by the way. Right, like second time in a row that Gonzaga and, UC- and UCLA played this like crazy game. Gonzaga put everything into it, beat us on a buzzer beater. And then the next game, they had no legs. I'm right? I'm sick of being everyone's Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Like, I'm sick of being everyone's Super Bowl. But, look, maybe it's a mutually beneficial thing that we don't play each other in March. Whenever they beat us, they get wrecked the next game, and we only play them in insane games and lose on wild three-point shots. So. so Seth Greenberg had this thing on TV the next day where he said, you know, because his point was that, when Gonzaga and UCLA played that this game as well as the Final Four game, it was just it was a great game for college basketball, right? It was it was just a, a great spectacle. Yeah, I don't uh, give a fuck great... about it being good. So for college his point basketball. was, yeah, I don't either. But but his point was this: that the two teams should just play every year. What do you have to say about that? Not tournament, just play. I, I, I'm fine with that. Look, we when we got wrecked by them in Vegas last season, that sucked, but. It was an early season game, like, didn't really matter that much. Yeah, it hurts your strength of schedule and RPI, whatever metrics, uh, rankings that are out there. But I'm cool with that. Um, you know, it it has little, uh, little bearing overall with the entirety of the season when you look at it or if you play a game like that. So I, I would be open to something like that. I'm not open to playing them in March. I just, I don't want to see them in the tournament. I really don't. And, and you know, I, I feel like if you talk to Gonzaga fans, yes, they've gotten this the last two times, but they might say the same thing. It's like they, they put, have to put so much emotional energy and effort and, you know, uh, wear and tear on their players' bodies to play against us. Whatever happens in the next game, they just get wrecked. They're just done. The The gas tank is empty at that point. So maybe maybe if you talk to some Gonzaga fans, they might say the same thing. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to play them in March. I'm, I'm sick of losing in weird, heartbreaking fashion. Um, but, yeah, look, I don't know if UCLA goes through. Does UConn win as emphatically? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. But you will never know. And it goes back to, like that same sentiment we'll never know but i think with it i think we would need at least a dembona to give him a game but i think ucla with a, a fully healthy roster 
Um, yeah, I'm going to stick by what I said last week. Um, with, with both those guys, I think there's a great chance that it would have been us and UConn at this stage of the tournament as the favorites to uh, to go all the way. So look, the way this tournament, yeah, the way this tournament broke. If we were fully healthy, then absolutely we'd be odds on favorites. And I think that statement alone is what makes that so painful. You think about how good this team would be with everybody healthy. It's just it it just it sucks. It really sucks because uh, I think this was our one of our better shots of uh, hanging up number twelve. Really, in the last ten years, easily in the last ten years, so it's a weird, it's a different feeling this year, right? Because because of all the adversity and stuff that we face at the end of the year, I I just I had a a really bad taste in my mouth after last year's loss because I there was just an element to like did we underachieve with that team? Um, just given the fact that you know obviously we didn't play the bench as much throughout the year. Um, there was patterns in the way we were losing certain games, and then we lost to, obviously, an eight seed in Carolina, who did go on to play for the championship and whatnot, but we controlled that game the whole way. So there was just this really bad taste in my mouth after last year's loss. This year, obviously, uh, it's still a terrible taste, um, but a different kind of taste. Yeah, it's It's terrible for a different reason. Yeah, I mean, it's like what could have been, and yet so much pride in watching this team this year. Um, it, it just for how hard they played despite all the things that were there. Um, I, I think this part is a great credit to Mick Cronin, which is whoever's in the game, they know what they're doing. And, and this is the flip side to this, right? I mean, we always wondered throughout the year, why didn't we play the bench or why aren't we playing certain guys and so on and so forth? And it's because of this, right? Like, when you're in the game, you're expected to do the right thing, not turn the ball over, be functional. And re- the reason we can still be competitive despite having the injuries is because the guys that are in there are functional. They know what they're doing. They play really hard. And there's some skill set that they bring to the table. Yeah, I, I think they develop over time, right? That's his system where we're not trying to crank out guys in one year and you know, get a guy like Dylan Andrews to be playing in a helter-skelter way and kind of have the green light. Like, I think that pays off for guys in year two and year three when they are more fully developed guys who are just better players from top to bottom, Uh, especially for those guys that aren't, you know, surefire kind of one-and-done type guys. Like, I will I I would be shocked if Dylan Andrews next season was not insanely good um as a starting point guard. Like I I expect him to be like the second coming of Tiger Campbell <laughs> with more quickness and athleticism. Like I I truly believe that this year will pay off for him next season when he is going to be playing much bigger minutes. So from that perspective like long, the long term outlook of how Mick Cronin is developing his players, there's no problem with that. I think the problem only occurs is when you're looking at, okay, you you got to balance it, right? Long-term, yes, this will pay off, but how do we also maximize results in the short-term when we have a roster that's built to make a run and could make a run if we can spell some of these guys a little bit more and make these guys on the bench play 
maybe they'll turn it over a little bit more. Maybe they'll, you know, take a bad shot or two. But will that speed up their effectiveness in this first season? I, I don't know. It's just something that, you know, Mick... I mean, the, the, the great unknown for us this year along those, those lines is, was there a path to getting a Brahma Zanka ready? Um, like that's that's like I think the great unknown. That, you're that you're teeing me no up for this. I'm, I'm, am I riling you up? Am I getting oh, you there? Man. I love I love Zonka, man. I've been trying to free that dude since since day one. Free Zonka, he's gonna be freed next year. But but this is the thing, right? Like there's a part of this where you, we have no idea why he's not playing. Is it because he, he's not he's not strong enough to play at this level yet? Because you saw some of that when he was in, right? Maybe he wasn't maybe strong enough to deal with the physical play uh, at this level yet. And yet you saw that he absolutely could shoot. He could rebound. And what did we lose on in this game? We lost on not making a shot for 11 minutes and because we couldn't rebound. And so, you know, just you wonder, it's the great unknown of the season. In some of the, because we had a lot of pretty comfortable blowout wins this year, right? Like this was a pretty dominant team in, in a lot of games this year. You had your close games too. But in those blowout wins, like, was there a path to getting some of these guys like Zonka a little bit more time? I don't know. We'll never know. Well, I mean, you look at even the tournament. That first game against UNC Asheville, we're up 30 points for 90% of this game. So why not put in more, give more minutes to a guy like Zonka or even Dylan Andrews or Will McClendon or Mac Etienne? Like, there's no reason at that point or at that stage of the game we shouldn't be giving these guys extra minutes. And look, you, you can always, you know, break the emergency uh, button if you need to and throw the starters back in if in some crazy way UNC Asheville makes a run back at us, right? Like when you're up that big, you can do things. You can afford to, to do things like that and put guys in and, and give them those minutes and Get them tournament ready. Um, give them that experience. So yeah, look, I yes, I, I do think that largely we could have gotten these guys a little bit more ready to be more effective today. But you know, I think Mick Cronin will will argue that it's he's he's thinking about this more long term. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But thinking about long term. What is the path forward now? I know we talked that about there being one, but in your eyes, Kevin, like what is that? Yeah, uh, it's the the dreaded off season that we have all not wanted to to come has now finally come. Right, we are making officially a transition of eras here um, because this core group of players, you know, Jaime Tiger, Dave Singleton. Um, you know, Ken Nuba might come back, but there, there's Ken Nuba. You know, there was a core group of these guys who were a part of the first team that Mick Ronan inherited, and they are now going to be um, leaving. And they played a ton of ton of minutes, a ton of time, a ton of production there to replace. Era changes are scary, man. There's so it, it it's scary, right? Um, and so now the question becomes, you know. First off, who's going pro? Obviously, we got a Dembona and Amari Bailey. Now, a Dembona, you know, he's got that shoulder injury, and the the NBA Combine is I think in mid May. 
So you wonder, like, is there anything else that, that's got to be done to repair that shoulder, and is he going to be ready and effective to show up his absolute best? Because he needed to, he definitely needs to go to the NBA Combine and jump out of the gym there uh, if he wants to improve his stock. So that's, I think, something to watch. Amari Bailey is a really interesting case right now because I can make a great case for him to stay and I can make a fantastic case for him to leave. Um, because the last three weeks, uh, you were starting to see some of that athleticism, some of those hops. Um, they were coming back. His confidence was just reaching a sky-high level. You, know, you, you talk about player development at UCLA, right? Um, you know, Play, like players just they get better here and we've seen proof this year that that's not just about these guys who have athletic limitations and are going to be long-term college players this is also applies just as much to the five-star freshman that wants to go to pro in year one amari bailey early in the year he he was lost in confidence he, he was short in confidence he was coming off to some injuries and just early in the year it looked like he wasn't sure exactly what his role was going to be uh, there was a lot going on there. And these last three weeks, my God, the way he's put it together and the way that – just how it looks, right? I mean, He looks like when a he lottery those, pick. When, when he shoots those mid-range jumpers, it's like he's just hanging in the, in the air right there and, 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 and it's just it's going down. Um, he's finishing at the rim. He's jumping much better than he ever was. And you he's could hitting think his that threes. there's – yeah, and, and you could you could see an NBA scout or a GM out there, and they're gonna say, or they could say, you know, this is a guy that that I can make my name off of, because here's somebody who you know he had his injuries in high school, and therefore his production this year may may be deceptive, but he's gaining some of that athleticism back. It's only getting better. We see that he already has NBA ready skills. There's more skills that he can develop. He's a great kid. He's made of all the right stuff. And I can go and I can get him at the end of the first round or the early second round. Like, you know, th this is, you, you could see some scouts and GMs out there, like, begging him to keep his name in the draft. Because he can make someone look really smart here. Because um, if, if that athleticism gets better, like, you know that he's going to put in the work. He's going to do everything he can to get better. The attitude's there. Well, um, the attitude's there, the, the lack of drama, the... Which, you know, you could you could have looked at his profile coming in and be like, ooh, this could be this could be a mess and the complete opposite. Like he's just a quiet, hardworking guy who just he grinds, he he puts in the work and I mean it's shown off. And the fact that he's bought into Mick Cronin ball, bought into being just tough and hard nosed, and I think yeah, I don't know if you've seen that athletic article about him that came out a few weeks ago, Kevin, but he talks about that. He was like, look, I saw Mick Cronin's like style and he's like, I wanted that. I wanted to be pushed and, you know, be made tougher than, than I already was. And that kind of attitude is, is what it's going to take to make it in the NBA. And you couple that with all the stuff you already just talked about. Like, yeah, he can be a steal in the draft. Yeah. I mean, I don't, without having any, obviously inside information on this stuff. If I had to just make a wild guess, I would say that we might have seen Amari Bailey play his last game for UCLA. And he would absolutely deserve it to be the case if that was the, ch the path he chose. If he wants I'm, to go pro, I think he's ready for it. I'm inclined. Um, 
to also agree with you there. Uh, and I don't know if you saw this recently, but Jalen Clark, I think today or yesterday, I don't remember. Yesterday. Yesterday posted something on Instagram about two announcements coming and a photo of him and Amari. So at the bare minimum, I expect him to at least test the waters. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to leave, but I do expect him to test the waters. And I wouldn't be shocked if he left. He absolutely deserves it. I also wouldn't be that surprised if he came back for an extra year to develop. Uh, he seems to like it here. He seems to get along with McCronin and is receptive to his coaching style. And he's not one of those guys that's looking to get that big paycheck um, for kind of a short-term gain. Like he has already monetized his own Instagram and social media following pretty well from what I understand. Like he's not, um, his family life is financially seems pretty stable. Uh, so he's not a guy looking for the bag immediately here. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if he said, look, if if I'm on that border of one or two, first or second round, what what is the feedback that I need get from the NBA scouts? Now, what can I do in that next year to kind of improve my draft stock to be a lottery pick? He could be a guy who does something like that. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, and and if he did that, that would be the coup of the off season. I think more than anything that we could do in terms of player acquisition and such like that would be i think the coup of the offseason because you like there, there's just a feeling here that this is sustainable um you could see amari bailey coming back and then just exploding off off the scene next year um to the tune of like 15 to 20 points a game um you know you you could see that kind of a season coming so it would be really the the coup of the offseason um, plus, like, just all the production we have to replace, all the shots we have to replace. Uh, like, you, you now fully trust Amari Bailey to take a lot of those. You know, the um, the, the flip side of Jalen Clark's post could be that they're both announcing they're coming back. <laughs> How wild would that be? I think everybody is so uh, so hurt and uh, from years of being disappointed by UCLA basketball that they're assuming that they're going to announce them leaving, but... Jalen, I, I don't I don't know what Jalen's long-term prospects are at this very moment. I think his long-term prospects are he will be an NBA player. But today, with a you know, surgically repaired Achilles, him being on a scooter, like I I don't know what his what possibly his his announcement could be. Possibly that he is going to submit his name and see what the feedback is and see if anybody says, I would draft you. Uh, sure. And, and, and if and I had to guess that he will hear that, no, people will not. It's, it's really unfortunate because I think Jalen had his mind made up. He wanted to leave this year. Um, and even, that, even if it meant he was a second-round pick, I think he had it in his head that he wanted to go pro. It's, it's really unfortunate. Um, and now we'll have to see what he wants to do about that. Like, is it worth for him to just stay in school and rehab, or does he just want to get his pro career started? Look, every player in any of these guys' situations really should submit their name for feedback. I There's nothing wrong with that. It's free consulting. Like, you're getting free feedback from professional scouts. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, his situation's interesting because – how long term of a recovery are we talking about? Are we talking about a year from now? Because he got hurt the first week of March, right? 
Um, so is it a year from now or is it, you know, six, seven months or eight months from now? Um, and, and also like, you know, what's UCLA's roster situation six, seven months from now? Uh, you know, is, is, is that spot just going to be readily available for him and, and at that time to just come in and start playing and, does he want to want to want to do that and risk showing some rust? So so there's a lot of variables in that decision. It's not going to be an easy one. I, I wouldn't be if if I'm Jalen. I wouldn't be worried about that aspect of it personally. Like Mick Cronin isn't a t- the type of guy who's going to just cast him to the wind, right? Like his spot is there. His spot is absolutely there. His yes. spot is there. Let's let's and not even, kid ourselves. And even about even that. in that situation of like no, so, so I'm I'm more talking about you know are there going to be other guards or like is somebody else playing in his position at that point? Um, not his scholarship will be there. Um, but even with that, I think Mick Cronin has shown one thing, which is that he's loyal. You're loyal to him. Uh, he's loyal to you and you got to admire that too. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely there. I mean, look, depending on whatever his recovery timetable is, assuming he comes back and comes back to, whatever percentage of full strength he can come back to like he's a guy who's bought in he's a guy who knows the system he's a guy who's improved steadily every year I I think that starting job would be waiting for him as long as he is healthy enough to play the game at that point so I I don't doubt that uh about Jalen Clark one bit like he's if he's if he's healthy to play next season and he's on the team he's going to be playing and playing and starting so i'll throw a wild card now at you okay Um, tiger campbell would you do you want him to stay or leave of course i i think i think it's uh for me it's a no-brainer to have that kind of guy come back yeah i don't think he's going to i think he said as much that he's gone but if he were to somehow change his mind and say hey i'm gonna come back there is a world where we can play him and Dylan at the same time together. Like, there's no reason we can't do that. I think that's the key right there because Dylan Andrews, by this time, by beginning of next year, I think will demand that he is starting. And I don't mean demand as in he's going to demand it, but his ability will demand that he needs to be on the court. Um, and, and with that, like, you know, I'm with you, I think. Him and Tiger, him and Tiger can play together. Um, so yeah, that would be really interesting too. But but like you said, all indications are that Tiger is probably not coming back. Look, a lineup of Tiger Campbell, Dylan Andrews, Amari Bailey, Jalen Clark, and potentially a Dembona being back. Uh, <laughs> that's a hell of a lineup. Uh, like he, I I know there's a lot of people who are. Uh, I I won't say rooting for or you know hoping for, but I've been kind of speculating or or, or kind of rooting for I guess uh, for Tiger to move on. Look, he has his limitations. I don't think anybody uh, doesn't acknowledge that he's five ten, like or five eleven, whatever his official height is. He's he's short. He's not super athletic, but what he what he makes up with his basketball IQ, his savviness, his shooting, you and obviously his experience, you cannot replace that. I don't care how athletic another guy is who comes in after him. Like you're not going to be able to replace that kind of 
leadership and savvy uh, just just with that alone. So I I am all for Tiger Campbell coming back. I would open uh, openly welcome him. Unfortunately, like you said, it's probably not going to happen, and he looks like he's going to be moving on. So it looks like Dylan Andrews is going to slide into that spot next year. I think he's ready. Um, I, I, I think that I, I wouldn't be stunned, for example, if Dylan Andrews had the kind of year next year where just because of his quickness and athletic ability that if he can show enough point guard skills next year, um, that maybe like he starts getting some NBA attention. So uh, that'll be, I think, something something interesting next year. I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked by that either. I, I, he's shown so many positive flashes in his year uh his freshman year he he's gonna be a very 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 good player uh so if tiger leaves i am excited to see dylan andrews starting to run the show next season now and then there is uh your free sanka initiative hell yeah i'm telling you man he's gonna go off next year he's gonna go off next year give him one you look at like the nba draft boards for 2024 He's like rated in top one hundreds because like he has the measurables. Yeah, he's what like six eight, six nine, fairly athletic, long. I think there's a there's a world where you could see him fill out a little bit and and put a put some muscle on and be a little stronger. And he has a shooting touch, which apparently he's 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 been doing, and that's probably why he hasn't been playing. But he's been putting on weight this whole year. I I think he is a dark horse, major breakout candidate for next season. One one season of being in McCronin's system will do him a lot of good defensively. Obviously, I think he's going to know what to do and where to be. But you can't you can't replace like natural shooting touch, and he seems to have that. And every time he's touched the floor and has taking open shots, they tend to go in with him, and he looks good doing it. And if there was one thing we were really, really, really missing this season was a pure shooter. I know David Singleton was there, but David Singleton obviously had his his other limitations. But, but uh, Zonka looks like a modern wing. Uh, just and- coming off the bench cold, completely cold, and then just like, it was just butter all the time. He'd get an open look and and nail it. So, yeah, I, I think he's a he's a big dark horse candidate to be a big breakout type player next season. I, I'm I'm really actually excited to see how he develops. And even if he's coming off the bench, he can be a weapon. I think. I really, I truly believe that. Yeah, my my only I think because so like we've talked through all these. NBA decisions, um, you know, things well, like that. But we haven't was, talked about Bona yet too much. Or do, we're, we talked about him a little bit. We talked yeah. about him a little bit, but uh, do you think he's a guy who, if even if he gets a second round grade, he leaves? I don't. I mean, report, like, so I don't know him, but like reports of like just people who cover the program will tell you that like, both Amari Bailey and Adem Bona, um, you know, this isn't your typical, and, and nothing against like people who have this setup, right? But like your typical five-star freshman that has 
a set of advisors around them who is who are essentially doing whatever they can to get you the MBA. They're looking at, you know, they want a solid grade and then a sustainable path forward to stay in the league for a long time. Adembona, uh, the only reason, I think had he gone, had he been healthy, his ability to go to the combine, I think over there he he would have dropped a lot of jaws. Um, and just with his, his, his jumping ability, his measurables, so on and so forth, that maybe he could have sneaked into that first round. But as it stands, uh, I mean, you would have to think, unless he can recover in time to go to the combine and do well, uh, that that he might be okay coming back. Yeah, I th- he feels like a guy, if he gets some indications or some assurances for getting a second round draft pick and he gets a decent chunk of change out of it uh, I could see him leaving only no- because of his kind of family background and you know being from yeah, that's fair. you know being from a small village and you know he's talked so much about trying to you know make it for his family and you know helping them out and you know that whole aspect of his career i i think that kind of motivator could spur him into trying to jump earlier than maybe he should and you know i i get that 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 is understandable but you know he does seem to be a kid with a uh, a good head on his shoulders he seems like a smart guy who who can you know kind of discern like look i can make a lot more money and, you know, be more financially stable uh, in the long term if I am a little bit more patient. But then I think this also gets into kind of our, and I don't know if we're ready to start talking about this yet, but into the kind of the NIL question of these are some of the returning guys. How does NIL factor in with them staying potentially? And then how does NIL factor in with you know, potentially getting some transfers in. I know we've been in contact with a couple of people already. Uh, you can see every single day now as the tournament is starting to wind down, more and more and more guys and high-level guys too starting to submit their names into the portal. Uh, so, so I expect there to be a lot of activity on the transfer market. How does NIL fall into that um, help or hurt? Yeah, well, so first off, what you said about Bona is why, like, I mean, I'm not, I don't even know if it's the time and place to analyze, you know, or predict if someone's going to stay or go, because like you said, there's so many factors there, right? And as much as a fan wants to say, um, this is the smart decision, when you're a kid who's dreamed of playing the NBA and that moment is right there in front of you and you have a chance to take it, that's real hard stuff to turn down right there. Um, and we and we've seen it time and again, time and again that you know when you have that chance, like you just you want to take it. So you know people are going to have to make their decisions. Um, NIL, you would have to think is going to be a major thing here, right? Um, because for some of these players now, if you're choosing to not enter the draft, you are taking some risk by coming back to college, right? Like there there's absolutely risk involved there, and you're going to want some form of compensation to offset that risk. Um, so, hey, like, I could totally, like, you could totally see NIL being really important to retain, not, not forget recruiting, but to retain um, certain players on the roster for next year. So that's, that's absolutely there. Um, and then, I mean, 
one of the teams in, in the Final Four, Miami. I mean, we saw what NIL meant to their transfer recruiting efforts, right? I mean, like, half the guys who are in the transfer portal, and this is totally, I mean, totally fair game for them to do. They're there to use the remaining years of their eligibility to either move up and get more playing time whatnot, but also, like, they might have been playing just fine in wherever they were. They want money, and so they're, they're moving on to get money. So NIL is going to be a big deal. Yeah, I I agree. We probably need to step up our NIL game, not just for retaining guys, but also bringing new guys in. I, you you see us already making contact with a couple of players. I know we've reached out to the guy at um, there's the player from Harvard. Uh, there's been a couple of other reports of of talking to some transfer wings and whatnot. Look, there's, there's going to be activity. Uh, UCLA absolutely needs to play in the NIL world here. It's just going to be a matter of how and how much we can actually pony up. Now, there's conflicting reports around, like, you know, the admin not fully supporting NIL or, you know, some of the people in the admin viewing it as a competition with uh, the Wooden Athletic Fund, you know, struggles around how much money is being raised for NIL. I, I think it's really, really hard to tell. And part of it is because of the, the whole NIL collective situation with UCLA. And I, I think this isn't just a UCLA specific thing. I think this is with all NIL is there's a lack of transparency in that world where you can, you're asking a lot of people for a lot of money, but we don't really know where it's going and what it's being used for necessarily. And so people might be a little warier of, you know, just throwing money into a kind of black box, especially, you know, UCLA alum or generally financially stable. A lot of the, the folks who are donating to these types of things anyways, and they want to know where their money's going now. There's a flip side to that, right? I think there's a little bit of, hey, if we're donating, what do we get back? Which I think is probably unfair for some fans to, to expect. Like, what you're getting back is probably not something... A team. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. You're, you're getting a good team. You're not getting, you know, merch or, you know, free access or... Or you're not free, but you're not, you're not buying access or anything. Um, I think... There's that level of it, but again, I, I think there needs to be some transparency around how NIL is is handled uh, within the UCLA community. And I know, look, men men of Westwood is out there. Uh, there's the they advertise it at all the games, and they advertise it at the football games too. You kind of have the two branches of it. It's you look at it and it seems great. Like, look, I I'm not gonna throw shade at them or I or anybody who is giving money there. And I think it's a great thing that this is happening. I think the one criticism of of that whole thing, again, to my earlier point, is like there's no transparency. I, I've you put money in there, don't really know where it's going. And I and I think that nil world in general again is is kind of like that. It's there's a little bit of a shady aspect to it that makes it a little bit difficult to kind of know what's going on there um that being said yeah go ahead i I mean look nil is a new thing it's the wild wild west right now 
for teams who already had an infrastructure of donors, boosters, fans, alums, or whatever it might be, to pony up money in various creative ways and funnel them out to recruits and current players, um, they have done really well. And you just see that same infrastructure now get lifted over the hood, slapping a name of a collective on it, and uh, boom, you know that, that, that now becomes an NIL collective that's very aggressive in going out and getting players. And for schools that you know were just kind of behind on this to begin with, and UCLA in many ways were, was behind in, in a lot of things, right? I mean, uh, call them conservative, right? So, not not just like NIL, but it took took a while for UCLA to even get into the fundraising business and raise money for facilities and build them and so on and so forth and start paying top market rate for coaches. So like it, UCLA is always I would say like a year or two behind the times, right? And right now with nil that the problem is that like it's it's here it's here in the face it's here right now in like this off season um and it's going to be big so you know that all that all said um you know we'll let the whole thing sort itself out my main thing for this off season is you know and and the only real requirement i think i have of the coaching staff and such because guys are going to make decisions for themselves right like whatever decisions that Amari Bailey or a Dembona or Jalen Clark or any of these guys make for themselves, like that's completely on them. That's totally justified. Um, what I don't want is for NIL, and, and I don't mean like some stupid, like crazy offer, but like a reasonable NIL offer that maybe they could have gotten playing, you know, in Europe or in some other professional league. Um, like an offer that's co- competitive with that to be the reason that they don't come back. That's one. And the other, the other thing is for the coaching staff, I think you've got to look at, and now we're going into player acquisition, like you need like one or two real impact transfers or international players to come in right away um, and to be ready to, to produce next year because we're losing a lot of production. Whatever guy, And we may lose more depending on what guys decide to do. So I think we need two guys, who, one or two guys, who are just ready to step up and go next year, high-end talent or high-end production. From the transfer portal you, how you th- we get that how we do that i have no idea um i'm not even going to speculate how we do it but like after the like recruiting basketball like we've gone over that pretty ad nauseum over the course of the year and, and what the misses and hits were on that now we like i think we need a couple guys to come in and i think we need to fill and fill some shooting but then we also need to fill rebounding we've lost back-to-back years essentially on offensive rebounding um, so we gotta we gotta I think address those two areas and and so that's the main thing that I'm that I'm I'm fussy about. We gotta get one or two like really impact guys. The rest of it, you know, we'll see how it falls. I mean, I it's, yeah. I expect us to be active in the transfer market. I know there's that stupid stat that was floating around all season, like UCLA is one of only two schools or whatever that doesn't have a transfer on the roster. Like that wasn't because we don't bring transfers in it's such a misleading bullshit kind of stat you look at our last several years we had johnny juzang huge impact transfer we brought in miles johnson last season huge impact transfer like we we've had transfers come in and succeed so it's not like we don't do this uh i think mick cronin has been good at pulling in the right types of transfers actually so i I do expect him to go after uh, both both kinds of players that you just described, shooting and rebounding. 
and then yeah, there's there's the transfer market, but there's also internationals. I mean, you remember our old friend Ege Demir. Uh, you know, if he, if he ever gets admitted, like there there are options internationally. There's been rumors around a couple French players that are very close to coming to UCLA, and again, there's NIL. Um, considerations apparently at play there as well so there are players on the market i think that will be interested in ucla that can help bridge some of those gaps uh, and i don't think mccronan is going to be shy from trying to bring those in it's just a matter of how and what pans out here uh, will kind of make or break us yeah i mean we'll see how this all goes. it won't be for lack next. of trying yeah it won't be for lack of trying i mean we'll see how it all goes I mean, there's a lot of reasons we've hit or miss on players, but now I think you got to build a roster, so you got to hit. But whatever the roster does look like, um, you know, in what three, four months time, right? Because that's probably it's going to take some time to, to go through the NBA declar- um, declares and get to the combine and all that. But whatever this roster looks like, there's I think one thing that you can always take some solace in, and that's you know, UCLA is about player development. Um, you know, my, my closing thought on all this is, you know, Mick's comment in his post-game presser. You know, he was asked about, you know, what does Tiger and Dave Singleton and Jaime Jaquez mean to him? And, you know, he said basically, you know, the real reason that, that they deserve the respect that they do is no one can look at them and they can and no one can say, that, well, they should be better, right? They, they should be better than that. And... It just, it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, you could apply that really to just about everybody that has played for UCLA basketball over these last three or four years. That includes, you know, the long-term uh, three, four-year players like your Tiger Campbell, Jaime Hawkes, Jules Bernard, uh, David Singleton. That includes those kind of guys. It includes your kind of fringe NBA guys like, you know, Johnny Juzang, it includes even your top-end five-star talent like now Amari Bailey, a Dembona. Even a guy like Peyton Watson um, came in so underdeveloped that by the end of the year, you know, he'd gotten a lot better. He just maybe just wasn't used as much. Um, but again, you, the list goes on. Jalen Clark. Um, you know, now we're seeing what, what the likes of Dylan Andrews and such can do. So, you know, players get better at UCLA, and for the most part, there's... I, I really can't think of any instances where you can look at a guy and, and just look at them and say, well, they should be better than what they are. And whatever happens going forward, you know, we can talk about in-game management, playing the bench, all that stuff. That's one golden aspect of the program, of, of program building and building a sustainable thing here. Um, but I think you can never take for granted just something that, that no matter what, we'll always have some trust in. Uh, Mick Cronin is a talent maximizer, like pure and simple. He will take a guy's raw talent and will maximize it to its highest potential. And all those guys you just named, he's done that with. And all the guys you didn't even name, you can see a guy like Cody Riley who, yeah, like, right? You see him. I, I can't name every player that's played here for like the last three years. No, 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 no. But, and, but and I, think, thing. I think like, Cody Riley... Cody Riley was is is like in my head the prime example of this where you take a guy 
who's a ground bound big, doesn't really, you know, have the athleticism, uh, and turn him into a fairly solid defender, strong, and then for some reason has like an insane elbow jump shot all of a sudden and make him into a highly, highly effective player to where him getting hurt the season after he went on fire in the in the tournament like is a huge devastating loss to to the team because he's that good uh, that type of development and that type of uh, talent maximization you don't see everywhere you see it very rarely in college basketball especially in this era where everyone just plays for a year and tries to jump uh is is it is very very rare and i think is a huge and should be a huge selling point for recruits to come to ucla and it's not just guys like cody riley or davison because i think that's where people sometimes might get messed up especially i think recruits get messed up sure it's like yes like these are guys who are more athletically challenged they'll be here for longer jalen clark you know guys like this who or even someone like jalen clark who is not athletically challenged, but they're very raw, and it's going to take a couple years for them to develop. Sure, that's all true. But this year, what we saw with Amari Bailey, from where he started this year to where he finished, um, yeah, like, that is a drastic difference. And it shows that if if you're that top-end five-star freshman, you can come here. Early on, you're going to struggle, right? Because, like, this is, this is demanding, and you're going to have to play both ends, and you have to figure out how to do all that at a high level. But by the time January, February, and March comes around and it's time to show your stuff, um, you're going to be able to do that and do it really well. So it goes all the way around. Look, kids, you can go uh, chase the NIL back for short term and you know make a little money and then jump to the NBA and struggle. Or uh, come to UCLA and actually get better and uh, get the big bag, the real bag with the NBA. That's my recruiting pitch to players. Uh I hope that's uh, that's being told and that story is being told far and wide amongst basketball circles. But I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, any anything else? Uh, the women's team also made it to the Sweet 16. We talked about that a little bit last week as well. But sadly, the uh, the South Carolina mountain was a little too too tall of a task so um, usually is and probably a favorite to win the championship from here yeah so unfortunately the women's season also came to an end on saturday uh, effectively playing at a south carolina home game at greenville south carolina so that was a uh, uh, a bummer i think we had some high hopes for the team but hey what can you do it's a bad bad luck of the draw there uh, but yeah, and I think uh, with that, it, we uh, we have a wrap for the 2022-23 uh, UCLA basketball season as a whole. Uh, there's going to be plenty of recruiting things and, and you know, players leaving, players coming, players staying, all that sort of stuff in the next few weeks and months. And we'll be here to cover a lot of that, but effectively, um, yeah, our our season is over, and uh, it's been a hell of a ride for for uh, for us. It's been a hell of a ride for some of these players, I'm sure, and uh, we're we will always be grateful to have had them in blue and gold. I am um, all in favor of creating some sort of ring of honor for players like Jaime Hawkins and Tiger Campbell, who 
you know, fell slightly short of our very, very lofty uh, jersey hanging standards, but should be honored in some way or form. So I uh, would love to see something like that. But yeah, man, it's uh sad, sad end to a, a very good season otherwise. So we'll be back next season, hopefully with uh, a strong team again. But yeah, until then, that is a wrap for basketball season. Man, do we got to talk about football soon? <laughs> Probably. Uh, but we can we can take some a, a little break here. But we'll, we'll, just because basketball is ending doesn't mean we'll be gone uh, for the six people who oh, do no, listen no, to us. Oh, no, no, you don't get away with that. No one gets away with that. Yeah, the, our seven fans, you guys are, are still uh, still going to be, be hearing us, so... We'll uh, we'll be covering recruiting and you know football spring is is right around the corner so we'll be in the thick of that and uh, yeah we'll be we'll be around but for now basketball is a is a wrap and um, I think that's that's everything I have today Kevin anything else just uh, you know thanks for a great season and uh, you know we'll see you all again soon go Bruins we will be back all righty go Bruins. <laughs>